Hi, friends. Really quick before we get started, I just want to let you know about a thing that we're doing. Um, So my dog Jezebel passed away last week, and in honor of her life, we are doing a fund drive for Detroit Animal Care. Um, That's where Jesse fosters cats through, and they do a lot of work with pit bulls and pit bull advocacy, which is very important to me. Um, Jezebel was a pit bull, as are my other two dogs. And so, yeah, as a in, in tribute to her life, we're raising some money for them. We are doing that through some very cute merch that's available in our shop. So right now we have t-shirts for both adults and kids that feature a Lisa Frank style three-headed dog. And each of the heads of the dog is one of my three dogs. Um, It's super cute. I would love for you to check it out. Uh, And then also that drawing will be the February sticker for our sticker club. So 10% of the profits from our sticker club for next month, as well as for any shirts that are sold before March 1st, will go to Detroit Animal Care. With the sticker club, if you join before February 1st, you will get this month the January sticker first. It's an incredible disco snail designed by our friend Theo Julian Forrester. Um, And then you'll get the three-headed dog in February if you for some reason don't want an incredible disco snail wait until february 1st to join but yeah um i would love it if you would check that out it's really cute merch for a really good cause so yeah uh let's get into the episode gay people love puns i'm dead <laughs> we have to stop this podcast well, this book causes satanism what is left for us to rant about there is nothing straight about plum velvet <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when i said that <laughs> monocles are impractical but hot i don't for a second believe that she is a straight person i mean i'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva mcgonagall let's talk about <laughs> harry potter Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches do whatever the fuck we want. I <laughs> am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Schroeder, Jesse Blount. And today we're talking about a cooler magic school than Hogwarts. Woo! <laughs> Which magic school is that, Jesse? <laughs> Sorry, we are talking about... The TV show Wednesday, we're talking about Nevermore, the sort of East Coast goth Hogwarts of your dreams. <laughs> because it's 2023 and we do not feel like talking about Harry Potter yet. <laughs> not this week, maybe next week. Yeah. What happens in this episode? <laughs> or this episode in this television series? Yes. So... <clears throat> Latinx goth autistic teen Wednesday Adams goes to Nevermore, a.k.a. goth Hogwarts, and there she solves several mysteries, goes head-to-head with some badass ladies, is in a weak-ass love triangle, and learns the power of friendship. Not necessarily in that order. (laughs) Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Before we get started, just really quick, because I didn't remember to add it to the actual episode, if you listen to our birthday episode last two weeks ago and you were like oh my gosh i hope they make that shirt with that funny review on it because i would totally buy one guess what we did so you can buy one it's in our shop hashtag ruthless.com 
You're and you should buy one. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you've not seen the show Wednesday, uh, we're going to be spoiling the whole eight episode season. So if you don't want to be spoiled, pause this recording and put on your best your best gay pirate outfit and find a way to watch it. Or you can just listen to us, whatever you want. Yeah. And if you've been on the edge of whether or not you want to watch it, maybe listen to this and then you can decide based on our conversation. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Let's get into it. We are going to start by turning directly to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? I want to start... Because the opening of this show is like Wednesday walking down the hallway of her high school. And, you know, she's like the only goth kid in this like sea of not goth kids. And like everyone's just like parting around her. And I just have to say that this is exactly my internal experience of being in eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Down to the outfit. Like that is exactly what I was wearing. Because Wednesday is very like... 2000 hot topic aesthetics and also i would like everyone to know that the light over my locker was perpetually burned out just my (laughs) locker (laughs) wow i mean i think that this i feel like wednesday's whole vibe in general is gonna strike a chord for many current previous and future goth teens so Mm -hmm. And I just love that for everyone, all of the above. Yeah. Um, my first thing is that her Wednesday's normie high school we get in the first like five minutes of this show is the is the Nancy Reagan High School. Wait, is that the name of the school? <laughs> That's, That's the name so of the school. Funny. Uh, oh I have it in my God. I have it in my notes as uh, Nancy Throat Goat Reagan High, just because of. <laughs> Everyone on the internet finding out last year about how many blowjobs Nancy Reagan gave in Hollywood, which is backed up by, I think, more than a couple of people's biographers and everyone Mm -hmm. being like, I'm sorry, what? So it just makes me laugh anytime she comes up now because I'm just... Anyway. (laughs) I feel like we should clarify that we're not slut shaming Nancy Reagan. We like that version of Nancy way better than the president version or... Yeah, the, like, very prudish, uh, enabling her terrible garbage husband version of Nancy Reagan. So, yeah. If only she had stayed in Hollywood, just being as sexually liberated as she wanted to be. Exactly. Um, I don't know. We, yeah, so we just, like, start this... I feel like, let's assume at least a little bit that people are listening who haven't seen this. So, like... We lay the scene. Wednesday's walking down this corridor. She gets to her locker. She finds that her brother has been, like, hogtied with an apple in his mouth in her locker by, like, we learn through a vision that she has these, like, jocks, basically. So Wednesday's like, no problem, I got this. She gets somewhere a bunch of piranhas from, like, the pet store. I don't know. You probably can have pet piranhas, actually, at, like, a specialty aquarium store. I'm sure. Uh, but I think I can safely say that I bet Fester helped get her those piranhas. Fester definitely knows a guy who can get piranhas on a very short notice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> if 
if there isn't an aquarium in the Adams Manor that it already just happens to have piranhas in it. Good point. Good point. <laughs> um, yeah, and they were. I mean, they didn't have like a huge CGI budget for this show, but those piranhas were like very realistic. I went to a zoo recently ish, and I feel like it was my first time ever seeing a piranha IRL. And they're always just depicted as like scary because whatever, they eat people. But they're beautiful. They're so sparkly. And I was like really excited to see accurate piranha representation in this show because those piranhas also were like gorgeous glittery fish they look more like like the the rainbow fish fish than any other fish i've seen with my eyes oh wow yeah oh my god is the rainbow fish about a piranha because that would be i (laughs) (laughs) that i mean that's already a like a very cute children's book but i feel like i think younger me had but i think if that fish would have been a piranha younger me would have been much more interested (laughs) yeah that book is, I think, one of the ones that we've revisited and been like, ooh, maybe this is not the message. I think it's a very, like, I feel like it's like, I feel like it has a very neoliber- neoliberal message at the end or something. I mean, give away all of what makes you special so that other people don't resent you anymore. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a picture of a piranha in the chat for I- you. Wow. That is a really pretty fish. Holy Aren't shit. They gorgeous. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> that was my piranha detour. Um, I don't know why this made me laugh. I think partly because this show takes itself kind of seriously, but the fact that our our hero and all of her monster magical friends are the outcasts and everyone else are the normies is just <laughs> very it's very funny to me because it just feels like something that like a 15 year old would come up with and it would be an accurate thing to be like uh normies but it's very funny <laughs> it's like oh you guys are seriously just using this <laughs> so like demarcation between the like you know magical people <laughs> and like mm-hmm. the not magical people and it seems to be like sort of nationwide i think is the indication that we get like everyone knows about like vampires and werewolves and gorgons and stuff in this world and they're all just like uh we hate you guys and so they just like are known as outcasts and normies that means there's people out there like self-identifying as normies which is very funny deeply (laughs) deeply (laughs) deeply funny um so, yeah, so Wednesday gets shipped off to Nevermore uh, because she's been kicked out of too many schools and this is like the last chance and whatever. And we get there and the next thing that I have a note about is her new roommate Enid giving her like a tour of like the social scene, which feels mm-hmm. like I want to believe. I think that it is a like direct 10 things I hate about you reference because when Cameron first gets to the school michael is taking him around being like there's like the cowboys and like the white rastas and like the popular girls and whatever and so this here are the like main clicks thing just felt like felt like that to me i feel like it's hard because i feel like a lot of teen media has done that probably yeah i guess i don't remember if 10 things i hate about you is the first movie to have done that or not 
I think the thing that made it feel that way to me is because the like the white Rastas and 10 Things I Hate About You and the quote unquote stoners at Nevermore feel like that, that reference feels the same. Fair. And also like the fact that one of the cliques is stoners and they're fucking Gorgons is like one of the best jokes in the show. And it's so it, subtle. It's really good. Because for a minute, I'm just like, the stone, the what? And then when it clicked, I was like, that's clever. That's funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, Wednesday gets to school. She has immediately the run-in with, you know, head bitch in charge of the school, Bianca, my mm-hmm. queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they immediately get into a fencing battle. And I think that, I mean, every fight scene that Wednesday is in is great. Like, she is kicking most people's asses, and it's excellent. And I just, it makes me so happy to just see her... Just, like, very nonchalantly, like, in her, like, schoolgirl uniform, like, kicking so much ass. Mm-hmm. So. But, of course, I mean, that the just the initial, like, fencing scene between her and Bianca. Oh, so good. Yes, it's excellent. Um, I just want, I just want a, a little, I want a little taxidermy made by the town therapist. Right? <laughs> Those are so good. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> It's very, it's very Etsy. I definitely feel like I've seen Etsy taxidermy things like that. And I just, what a, what a delightful weirdo she is. And I'm just like, pardon me, Bill, you could just have these displayed in your office. I think that all the kids would be really into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I think like the therapist having this, like, this secret life as like a roadkill taxidermy (laughs) art maker is just this this gorgeous little aside i don't know i love it so much yeah i just really love it um speaking of the episode when we find this out the woman who owns yura's heap is like my future and i love her oh my god (laughs) yes i i like took my notes by hand while i was watching and like i can't describe to you like the size difference in which i wrote the uriah's heap owner that's the whole note but it's like so big because i was so excited about that woman yes she is she is incredible she's out there forging her own mushrooms getting her own local taxidermist i'm like mad respect for her seriously and it's like this is maybe one day going to be me. <laughs> I'm like having a weird antique shop. That'd be so fun. <laughs> yes. <sighs> the name of the store also is like really excellent because Uriah Heap is a, a character in a Dickens play. And so calling it Uriah's Heap for your, like, junk store is, like, a very fun play on words. She probably has, like, a literature degree or something. Totally. (laughs) Oh, my God. Do take, like, a second to, like, describe this character, please. All right. Okay. And for everyone who's not watched the show, she is this beautiful older black, this beautiful curvy older black woman, like, long, flowy, wavy, gray and black hair. She is wearing a, like, granny square vest over a very cute, like, cottagecore-looking dress. Um, And she's just incredible. (laughs) 
she's drinking her own foraged mushroom tea, which she offers to Enid, who is just not here for any of this like crunchy bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I deeply love just everything about like she's the sincerity with which she delivers every single line that she has to and like just the excitement that she expects Enid and Ajax to have about about um the fucking like preening that's not the word but like tidying up the taxidermy basically and she like reveals these two like Barbie combs <laughs> these like two little tiny combs and is like go brush the squirrels <laughs> And listeners, these are like taxidermy dioramas. So it's like a little wedding between like a ferret and a squirrel and like a rat on a motorcycle and like stuff like that kind of taxidermy. Yeah. Um, very detailed, very beautiful. Um, Enid is not amused. She is not goth enough for, for that. <laughs> no, but oh my God. So like this, this show is full of like such excellent little jokes. And one of them is when Enid is, like, yelling at Ajax for not noticing that she's been flirting with him all day. And he's like, oh, this sweet fucking himbo. I'm going to talk so much about how much I love Ajax. <laughs> he's like, is that what you were doing? I wondered when you spent, like, ten minutes brushing that possum's tail, which is funny, but funnier when you remember that possums don't have fur on their tail. No, nope, they have rat tails. There is... <laughs> It is just skin. Yeah, the minute he said that, I was just really, there's like the clear picture of her just like, sort of like patiently, like just moving her brush across his possum's tail, like waiting for Ajax to like catch a clue. Um, yeah, Ajax is one of two boys on this show that I have more than two seconds of anything to say about. And none of them are the ones involved in the love triangle. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I have I have same, and then I have, I think, a bit of a rant about this later, but yes. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think it's your turn. I don't know why this makes me mad, but I was really digging the, like, cello instrumental version of Nothing Else Matters that was playing at the end of one of the episodes, like, over, like, the dramatic, like, uh... Um, it's just really wait, good. Why are you, wait, why are you mad? I also have a note about this. It's fucking excellent. It is really good. I guess, I don't know. I think it's just because it seems just really perfectly engineered for elder millennial slash Gen X to be like, you're going to have some feels about this cello instrumental of nothing else matters. It's like, yeah, you're right. No, it's like so well done. And... One of the yeah. things that I really love about it is that Metallica songs are so long and like it's slowed down because it's like a strings version. Right. It starts like during the sort of interrogation scene in Weems's office and goes all the way through to the credits. It's like a solid seven minutes. <laughs> they milked however much they had to pay Metallica to get the rights to this song, which I have to assume is a lot given what we know about Metallica and like Napster, which <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I assume that's why there's like not a lot of CGI because they had to pay for like <laughs> they had to play for this, they had to pay for they had to play for a Rolling Stones song. How yeah. expensive was that? And we do get a uh Fleetwood Mac medley, in fact, when on Outreach Day. What song is that? Oh. See, Netflix, I had the caption songs. I'm like, is this a Fleetwood Mac song? Because I couldn't find it on the internet. 
And unless the Netflix captions is wrong, she is, they are playing some Fleetwood Mac song. I just don't remember which one. I don't really like Fleetwood Mac, so it probably actually isn't going to tell me anything if you tell me. Yeah, I didn't write it down. I was just like, oh, when we just like a nice Fleetwood Mac melody, she was, she was correct. Anyway, so yeah, those are very expensive. (laughs) I mean, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the Rolling Stones and Metallica, like... I imagine, well, I mean, I don't know fuck all about anyone in the Rolling Stones, but I have to imagine that most people are cooler than the people in Metallica when it comes to like, yeah, we want you to like have fun with our music. I also don't know if this is like still true of Metallica or if they're just going to go down in fame as like the band that tried to fucking take on Napster, (laughs) you know, (laughs) which is like one of the least cool things you can do. You know, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like with the way that, with how little so many digital platforms pay musicians, it makes me wonder if, like, in the end, history will look at them a little bit kinder (laughs) Uh, with their sort of, I don't know. I don't know anything else about Metallica besides them being against Napster at its height, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, they make music for, like, eighth grade boys and the men that never stopped being eighth grade boys. Yeah, That's... yeah. I think I've only ever liked one Metallica song, and everything else I'm like, mm. which one was it? Whatever song they use is inter- this instrumental. What <laughs> is the one that is the only one that I've ever liked? You don't like Enter Sandman? I used to um, do, it's okay. Like dance solos. <laughs> Enter Sandman. <laughs> do you want to know who I listen to instead of Metallica? But like, is sort of I think in that same sphere. I do. To- Tool. Oh yeah. I was a bigger Tool fan than I was of <laughs> Yeah, well, Tool was later. I was, like, seven when I was doing... Because this is, like, my dad has loved Metallica and, like, only Metallica for my entire life since before I was born. That makes sense, then. Um, staying on the music, briefly, I am so curious, and probably I could have looked this up, but I didn't try, about Tim Burton's, like, thing with, like, Harry Belafonte. Interesting. Right? Because it works in Beetlejuice for, like, the whole, like, all of the music is Harry Belafonte. It really, it really works. But then having it show up again here, and, like, I haven't seen everything he's made. I don't know if it also shows up in other works that he's done. But, like, it's been, how old am I? 35. It's been 35 years since Beetlejuice came out. And he's still here being like, hey, you know what this goth thing that i'm making needs harry belafonte (laughs) i'm like all right what's going on what's this about is this just a beetlejuice reference i don't know i mean it could be also so tim burton directed the first four episodes but i don't think he did any of the other ones but he loves to he loves using the same sort of things over and over again in his movies it's very they're kind of formulaic in that way regardless of the content Mm -hmm. like of course danny elfman's doing the score for this you know so yeah of course your main character is just wearing a very like lots of stripes and a weird tree and it's very much like all right bro we get it you're gone (laughs) he had one idea one time and he's just been milking it for the last 35 years i mean this is really why among other things his earlier films feel seem more fresh than his later stuff because in the 90s no one is doing that but by the 2010s, 2020s, it's like, all right, you've been doing the same shit for 30 years, my dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have more about that also. Great. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, 
Is it my turn? Is it? Yeah. Uh, you will not be surprised that when Pugsy started eating the potpourri in Kimbot's office, I was like, yes, another neurodivergent kid who wants to eat potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? There's a scene where Pugsy's like- No, no, like, no. Pugsy... I know about that, but oh, explain so like, your reaction. Sorry. I, as a kid, really want to eat potpourri. And maybe I did at some point because it's just like, it's just a bunch of like stuff in a bowl that smells good. So I'm like, why wouldn't I? I feel like maybe I thought I brought this up on the podcast before. As a kid, definitely want to eat potpourri. And it's like, did I? Maybe? Possibly? And I'm like, why? And so to see Pugsley here eating it is like, okay, this is clearly not just a weird me thing <laughs> of why to eat a bowl of potpourri. It looks like potato. It looks like fancy chips. It does. I'm it looks saying. like... um like apple chips i feel like right yeah so i'm just glad to see some potpourri eating solidarity here i love <laughs> between, that for you between, I... between me and bugsley <laughs> <sighs> can we briefly i didn't put this because i didn't know where to put this but like we're talking about pugsley so i'm just gonna shoehorn it in that yeah. kid the the size of child to size of voice ratio of that child is mind blowing. He has an adult man's voice in this little <laughs> tiny child's body. <laughs> He's doing a great job. He's like again one of of the few main few male characters who I'm just like, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, no, actually, you're right. I really like Puxley. But yes, you're right. That actor is like a little kid. I think. I think he's like thirteen or fourteen. But he has like literally a grown man's voice already. Wow, puberty is being weird. You know, I was. I guess that makes sense, especially if we're like if the show's trying to like draw the obvious parallels between Pugsley and Eugene, right? Who was also clearly like thirteen, like a thirteen-year-old nerd. You know, yeah, um, and possibly played by an actual thirteen-year-old versus. Jenna Ortega, who is like a full ass adult playing a fourteen, like right. a four, like a fifteen year old. I think she's sixteen. Okay, because I saw some people doing like very goofy math, being like Wednesday is obviously a Scorpio, but the only Friday the thirteenth that happened, given that she's sixteen and the year that she would have been born, <laughs> were would make her either an Aquarius or a Libra. <laughs> I. Don't know. I I love that train of thought, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Good job, internet. Good good job, astrology gaze. I see you. That's so funny. That's really great. Yeah, so I think the scene, the date that oh, we should I should say right now so that everyone can get on board with me. I learned the names of the love interests in my second watch, but in the first watch I could not learn their names. And so Will in this conversation be referring to them only in the way that i did in my first watch through as the 28 year old and the other one so (laughs) the 28 year old is the barista uh when he takes wednesday on this crypt date which like great date excellent 10 out of 10 whatever uh they did a really great job with choosing legally blonde as the, the horror movie Because I, like I think probably a lot of other people, knew what movie he had put on before they showed the screen. Because the opening of Legally Blonde is so identifiable. Right. It's like builds the sense of solidarity in your audience of being like, we all know. I know what what movie it is. 
Yeah. Oh my god. I actually did like ten minutes of research today to feel to see if it was accurate that he would have been able to get legally blonde on like sixteen millimeter film to show her like that. And it's like right on the cusp of when movie theaters switched over from sixteen millimeter to digital. So this is in fact an accurate continuity thing. That's so great. <laughs> I don't know. Because I was I was like, Legally Blonde is only from 2001. Why would you have this on, like, an actual film canister, my dude? I bet, because a lot of, like, sort of retro-y movie theaters didn't update their systems for, like, a long time. So I bet things were still at least coming out, you know, some copies on 16 millimeter. Yeah, and especially if it's a small town, there's probably, like, a one-screen movie theater that all of the teenagers all of the normie teens just rotate through working at like either he or someone he knew would have definitely worked there. And like, I don't know how regulated the whole set of the movie rails back in the theater, but like, I'm sure a lot of them just get stolen. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would be like, it broke, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do you have next? I'm going to be so disappointed if there isn't at least one to two IRL gay dance parties call it the Raven. That's all. Yeah. Like, what a perfect name. What an excellent just, it. it's an excellent pun. I just, I love everything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. Not that I can go to a dance party anytime soon, but I really just wanted to Because you'll get COVID, so. kind of like the actor who plays Wednesday. Dinner yep. Yep, she sure did, was doing that dance when she had COVID. Oh, God. Very unfortunate for, I feel like, everyone involved. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, This is my last thing in this segment. It is my little love letter to Ajax. I just think he's, like, really great. As I said, he, I, you know, we are a pro-himbo podcast. I think that's been very well established. The thing that, like, seals, seals it for me on my Ajax love is when Enid finds out that he's in the Ophelia Society, whatever it's called. The Nightshades. The Nightshades. When, yeah, so she finds out, she's like, you're in a secret society and you didn't tell me? And he just is like, well, you know, it's a secret. And like, the look on his face is that like, literally one of his fellow nightshades like six months into him and Enid's relationship would have had to sit him down and be like, you know that you can tell her, right? Like it never would have occurred to him that he could share that information because he's just like a sweet, simple soul who was told something was a secret and therefore he can't tell anyone. And I fucking love it so much. Especially considering how open secret the, like, fucking nightshades are. Like, this isn't, this isn't some, like, Yale secret society bullshit. It's like, every, basically everyone knows. Yeah. Except for Enid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, I have two, two more things. Go ahead. Number one is just, I have to shout out the fact that Wednesday has a fucking umbrella sword. Just... I mean, of course she does, but it's just like, oh, how incredible that was. When she just fucking pulls out her fucking umbrella. I'm like, oh my God. Ugh. And my last thing is a little bit of a downer, but uh, at the end of the season, the other one, as you called him, gives uh, Wednesday a phone, which feels very presumptuous. And weird. 
Yeah, like the logistics of this, but whatever. And just like in real life, she has this phone for like 0.3 seconds before she is has a stalker cyberbullying her, essentially. And I'm like, mm-hmm. cool, what a very feeling accurate representation of being a teen girl with technology. And I'm like, that fucking sucks, y'all. We're, this is how we're ending the season. <laughs> yeah, and like... The dude that gave her the phone is the only one who could have given anyone a phone number, which is, like, weird. I don't know. I felt, whatever. Who knows what they'll do with that in the next season of this show. We'll find out. Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. I'm just going to come out and say it. A cab includes Wednesday. also sort of I was also upset with how much she was working with this clearly corrupt slash inept police officer I mean she frames the artist one like she plants evidence and gets him arrested like that is cop behavior yeah Yeah. and like (laughs) deeply dangerous You know, it's like, good thing Xavier is, like, white and rich, you know? And has, like, an incredibly famous dad. Right. And I have to say, I always appreciate when it's, like, turns out the real villains are cops and rich people. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I think it is sort of a... I do hope in later seasons there's less police involvement. Because police suck and are bad. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, I mean, this is like a detective show. She's like writing detective stories even before she like becomes a detective herself. And like detective is another word for cop. Like, I, I don't know. We'll see. But do you feel like, cause you just said like, you like it when the real villains were, what did you say? Cops and rich people. But is that who the real villains are in this? How? So, so you have Christina Meech's whole family who was bribing the mayor who was formerly the head of the police. And so that dude did never take Morticia's stalking seriously. So when that shitty rich boy goes to kill a bunch of uh, all the Nevermore kids and then Morticia accidentally kills him in self-defense, like, then the whole thing with Christina Ricci's whole, like, revenge plot here, like, wouldn't have happened. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I guess I was thinking too, like, literally. Oh, no, sorry. I, like, had to write all this down because I'm like... It gets real Scooby-Doo at the end. It gets real Scooby-Doo. You're like, what is this plot? What even is going on? It is is deeply convoluted, but, again, (laughs) dates back to even this, like, terrible, shitty murder pilgrim. I mean, all pilgrims are murder pilgrims because colonialization. But, you know, even in especially this guy. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, yeah, kill Wednesday, kill the kill the whole family. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really not a fan though of like how much she just like is one of the cops investigating this crime, like pointing fingers at people left and right, half of whom didn't do jack shit, and like, right, planting evidence. It's not good. Um no. she definitely is like will be in the future at, you know, the the weeping hating to say it part of one of the all cops are bastards tiktoks you know 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally thinking of that exact sound in my head. So. I've actually been meaning to make one of those videos. Maybe I'll make one. <laughs> That's like yeah for this show. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we do talk about, like, enough cops from all of our different properties that you could probably, you could probably make that happen. Sorry. Okay. What were you going to say? Uh, I want to talk about race and, like, the casting in this show. Yes, please. Uh, like, number one, I'm really glad that ev- everyone in the Adams family is played by a Latinx character. Mm-hmm. Great. Excellent. Good job. Uh, there are some things that are, like, clearly colorblind casting gone wrong, AKA, I can, I cannot. I mean, and just like the black mayor owning fucking Pilgrim World, like glorifying this like murderous old white dude. But then I'm also like, I mean, we have like Eric Adams in New York, so maybe it's not actually. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I was just sort of like, oh. And especially just because like Tim Burton's track record and they Z said about people of color in his movies is like really bad. And I just don't ever want to give him the benefit of the doubt when it comes to shitty race things. So I just, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it. Specifically the mayor thing. I think the mayor thing is like kind of the, the big one. I mean, obviously Bianca and his son, what is it? I don't even know that kid's name are like sort of set up as like villainous, but like end up, you kind of like, you know, obviously with Bianca, we get her black, her, her backstory. So it's like, she becomes a more well-rounded character, but it's just, I think if it was anyone else having all these black antagonists, I would, you know, it would maybe be, I would maybe feel less on edge than if it's involved in like a Tim Burton project, mm-hmm. just because like, and I had to, and I had to Google this. So Samuel Jackson was in a Tim Burton directed movie like last year, or the year before. And it's like the first time there's been like a black person in a like major Tim Burton role. And he's like the villain. Mm. And then like Tim Burton has this very like tone deaf quote about it. Because like someone asked him about this in an interview and he was like, <clears throat> nowadays people are talking about it more. He says regarding film diversity, but things either call for things or they don't. I remember back when I was a child watching the Brady Bunch and they started getting all politically correct. Like, okay, let's have an let's have an Asian child and a black. I used to get more offended by that than just dot dot dot. I grew up watching black exploitation movies, right? And I said that's great. I didn't go like, okay, there should be more white people in these movies. Unquote. Yeah. I don't think that quote will ever get easier to hear slash read it's like every single time i encounter it i have the same like visceral like body horror reaction <laughs> that i did the first time you're just like my man what and then yeah. whatever and then it's like oh look helena bottom carter is like a fucking jkr apologist turf shocking like how how could that happen? And you're like, are you kidding me? Look who she's been common law married to for seventy million years. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So there are things about this show where I like can't. I feel like I don't want to take them on. I don't have any good faith with Tim Burton. Yeah, uh, and especially there's and I feel like part of it with the mayor's colorblind casting because there's 
whenever Morticia and Wednesday and the mayor and the, are in his office and Morticia's like, you, you know, you wouldn't know what it's like to like not be believed by the police. And it's like, I know. Did, did, did anyone <laughs> workshop this? Are there no people of color in your writing room? Because this comes off so just so out of pocket, y'all. It's- I know. Oh my it's god. So it's, it's so cringy. It's so cringy. Bad. It's so <laughs> bad. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So, yeah, it's real bad. Uh hopefully they do better. They can do better. Maybe they just won't have Tim Burton come back. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you say your other one was? Oh, um I guess I just want, I guess I want to ask you if you think that sort of Enid's mom trying to send her to essentially a conversion camp for werewolves, like if that works as a metaphor, I guess, because part of me, part of me wonders, wonders if it does. I don't know. I mean, just because like the the idea of this is that Enid's going to go and it's going to make her turn into you know, make her become a werewolf, which I mean, as you can see, she was just going to do anyway, uh, versus sort of RRL, IRL convergent camps, which are just trying to like abuse queer kids into the closet, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I don't know. I'm of two minds about it. On the one hand, the idea that like, if these lycanthropy conversion camps exist and like anyone can send their kids there, including normies who for some reason just want their kids to be werewolves. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. In which case this camp, assuming they're not like biting kids, it seems like werewolfism is hereditary and not virus. Yeah. So these camps are, are going to do literally nothing to make these kids werewolves, which is how real conversion therapy works. It does nothing to change who the person is. Like, if we had that, if, like, that little added thing of, like, most people who go to these camps are normies and they're, they don't work. Everyone knows that they don't work because you can't make someone into a werewolf. You have to be born a werewolf. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, actually, sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That would that would make it so that I was like, mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly what a conversion camp is. It like tries to make someone into something that they simply are not. Right. Um, but we don't get that. The only people that we know of having been sent to this is like Enid and her cousin, who presumably also is a werewolf. Right. Um, in which case, it's sort of like, eh. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think implying that it somehow conversion therapy for werewolves works just feels kind of icky <laughs> right and I'm like mm, this is really i mean that's never a good time to like sort of make a comparison but especially not in like 2023 where it's like people are already i mean essentially trying to like i don't know murder trans people and like where people it's like mm, no someone did not think this through <laughs> yeah so Y'all should have workshopped that one more and just not and done some, and done another another example of a shitty thing that Enid's mom could have done. Agreed. So it could have been a werewolf convent or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or Bianca's mom's cult. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, there were lots of options, even if they just hadn't said, like, a conversion therapy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> anyway, yeah. yes, I just feel like it feels very, a little bit like the scoundrel JKR school of metaphors. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Her, her school of failed metaphors, maybe I should say. Welcome to Community Profiles, where we talk about characters. We should start with our titular character, yeah? I think we should start with our yeah, we should start with Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, she's just fucking incredible as a character. Like, she's super confident and doesn't give any fucks as Enid uh, pointed out and is just sort of you know I feel like her vibe is like over all of this dumb adolescent bullshit but then it's like oh no there's like real real life implication mysteries happen I actually have to take care of that you know um, which is great and like also just her sort of I don't know if I want to say like opening up but her sort of embracing the fact that she's not quite the like goth loner that she thought that she was you know yeah it is nice i think that like through the show we see her you know embracing the idea of having friends and stuff like that and we get to see her like be protective of her friends because to be completely honest she's pretty awful for like most of the show like she's very inspiring and she right like she's competent and she's so like interesting and like fun to watch and stuff like that but like if you met her and like talked to her you would probably leave feeling really awful because she's like straight up mean on purpose mean not unintentionally (laughs) mean because we will talk about the like autism rate of wednesday she is intentionally scathingly cruel to people at every opportunity (laughs) yeah which is like not great but then we get to see that it's sort of like a defense mechanism and then she sort of stops doing that so much and we see her like catch herself about to do those things and like decide not to which is great because i think if she didn't have that it would be like wow we have a main character who's just like a bully (laughs) big 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 bully (laughs) yeah and i mean yeah and i think that i don't remember what episode we get the honestly just tragic backstory about her and her pet scorpion but i mean once we get that it's like oh you're mean and pushing people away because you have this like well of intense feelings and empathy that you don't want anyone to get near to sort of stir that stuff up for you and it's like which i think is very understandable yeah and yeah it it makes her definitely like come off as just like yeah who would want to voluntarily talk to (laughs) yeah it's not just how she comes off like she she is a bully like she is like just full stop regardless of your like the motivators causing you to bully people she bullies people and i'm not talking about the dude she sticks the piranhas on because i'm 100 percent pro that behavior oh, yeah so <laughs> yeah yeah it's like getting to like nevermore and then she's still just like yeah when she like insults enid about the snood that's the moment where i'm like like i'm i 
am fine with like not knowing how to receive a present. It's the part where she's like, oh, we should save these for a special occasion, like our funerals. And you're like, stop, she knitted that for you. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to pretend to like it, but you don't have to shit on her for it. Like that sucks, Wednesday. You know what I was thinking about when I on my second rewatch? Uh, because as someone who has knit stuff for people and like has knit, it's like, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Eden, I can't believe you still want to be friends with her after the snood thing. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, that was pretty mean. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. And then there's this thing. Okay, this is going to sound. So there's this thing among like people who knit and crochet called the boyfriend curse. Have you heard about this? No. Oh, my God. So the boyfriend curse is basically people who like knit or crochet being concerned about giving something that they knit or crochet to a partner because of all the like time and effort that goes into it. And then if they aren't maybe as appreciative as they should be, that sort of being the end of the relationship because fuck you, I handmade you this beautiful gift Hmm. and about how a lot of knitters don't even make things for their partners (laughs) because of the curse. So I was just like, Enid, girl, you guys aren't even together. And you're, and you've already like, you've already invoked this. And that you're still like friendly with Wednesday after she just completely disregarded all of your hard work. Yeah. It's like she made it in her colors. Also, it's like really cute. I know. It's adorable. Yeah. All right. So before we move on to anyone else, I feel like, um, a a big thing that's been talked about on the internet and you mentioned it in your intro is like the fact that Wednesday is just like very coded as autistic as a character. And like, we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Um, I think it's great to see some representation of a woman with autism, even though they don't ever say it. Mm -hmm. I feel like you could very easily. Right. And just, It feels very refreshing, especially in the way that, I guess, especially in the way that, like, Wednesday's autistic traits are portrayed. You know, it's very, I feel like you just don't really see that in main lady characters, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's not the butt of a joke, you know? Right. But yeah, I just, I feel like the writers would had to have had that in mind when they were doing everything about her dialogue and just every, a lot of things about her character. Yeah. Whether they knew that they were having that in mind or not, I think for sure. And the fact that like, I feel like the way that the actor also chose to like deliver stuff also plays a lot into it. Um, did yeah. you, I read somewhere that she would like insist on redoing a take if she blinked. While the camera was on her. <laughs> I did not see that. But considering how much work uh, Jenna Ortega put into this role, like she learned like fencing and cello and canoeing and shit. And I'm like, yeah. that does not surprise me that she was like, no, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Um, I I really, I really like it. And I also really like the takes that I've seen where folks are also reading Enid as autistic. Um, And I think it's really perfect that they had the like 
legally blonde uh bit in there because she feels like the l woods kind of autistic and like yeah if folks haven't seen the arguments for l woods being autistic you fucking should because they're really good and like very convincing <laughs> i mean i feel like you saying that i feel like i didn't i have not seen that but i'm like oh yeah i can see that yeah honestly is there anything more autistic than someone being like you got into harvard and responding with what like it's hard oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, god i love that movie yeah it, yeah we should watch it sometime Oh my god, we should. Yeah, there is nothing uh, neurotypical about Elwood. No. <laughs> not a not a goddamn thing. Um, and yeah, like Enid has like very similar special interests of like social hierarchies and like fashion, and she has like the largest collection of fucking squishmallows ever. You know? Yeah. And yeah, I just think I just think it's really lovely in both both representations are really lovely. Um, but I do want to make sure that we're like separating Wednesday's meanness from Wednesday's autisticness because yeah. they're delivered like in the same way, but like, they're not the same. The, the cruelty is not stemming from the autism. I just want to yeah, put that on record. Yeah, and I think that's important to say just because I feel like so many autistic-coded cishet dudes in media like often come off as complete assholes, mm -hmm. you know? And then it's like sort of the excuse like in-show and like in-fandom excuse will be like, oh, well, it's because he's autistic. And it's like, okay, but you can be autistic and not be a complete asshole. Right. People Actually. do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, in, in reality, which you would know if you thought about it for three seconds. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like there's just, I would much rather see like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, sorry. Point, point blank, period, uh, over asshole autistic cis white dudes in media and more people like Wednesday and Eden. Yeah. So 100%. Also, congratulations for all of the um, queer goth autistic people for their representation. <laughs> yup. Uh, so happy for everyone. Just, that's all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would love to talk about the relationship between Wednesday and Morticia, if you're open. Yes. Mm -hmm. I hate it interesting big not a fan because obviously like my i love what i love about the adams family from like you know the 94 movie is like how supportive they are of each other and how much they like love each other and like just you know from okay so like fa adam's family values the line where like wednesday's going to summer camp and morticia's talking to the other mom and is like Wednesdays of an age where she only has one thing on her mind and the other mom's like boys and Morticia's like homicide. That Morticia would never talk to Wednesday the way that this Morticia talks to Wednesday. And it bums me out. Like I wanted Morticia to be the one that had the line about like, 
Like, if she's going to be like, Wednesday, how would this attempted murder charge look on your record? It should have been followed by, like, everyone would know that you didn't succeed. Like, that's my Morticia, as opposed to being upset about Wednesday's record? Like, in what version of the Adams Family? Like, that sucks. I hate that. That's fair. She should have been proud of her for the piranhas thing. They still could have made it so that she had to be shipped off to school because there was nowhere else for her to go without making it so that her and her mom hate each other. I think, okay, I guess, all right, I actually didn't hate their relationship because I just, I felt like, I guess I, I guess I felt that like, I guess I felt that like Matisha obviously still like really cares for Wednesday, but they're just having a sort of very, I don't know, normal feeling like Wednesday is trying to figure out who she is as a person and is just having like a bit of a like growing pains tiff with Morticia that like is it gonna last beyond these like few like high school years kind of thing you know and I guess I just think that I guess I was just interpreting a lot of Morticia's actions as being just like you know her concern her concern for her daughter's future and just Mm -hmm. sort of Wednesday being like a teen girl who's just like fuck you mom you know I mean, especially, and especially on Nevermore, where it's like, I think the whole thing about being in Morticia's shadow feels very real. Totally. Where it's like, oh, mom, you're so perfect and good at everything. And like, had all these friends, you know, and that's just not who Wednesday is. I don't know. But I will say you're not the only person who thought that. I, I, there's an article on tour, tourbooks.com about someone being like, I don't like that Morticia and Adams are fighting. That just seems... Like, none of the other media we have of the Adams is, like... Like, the whole thing is it's them against the world, you know? Yeah. So it feels very weird to have this sort of, like, internal... This, like, this like kind of, like, strife between Wednesday and Morticia. Yeah. And, I mean, I think, I think that your points are really good. And, again, I think that we can... We could have had this sort of, like, growing pains thing without having Morticia come across as this, like sort of like wealthy mom like why do you keep fucking up like you're never gonna get into a good college vibe which i'm like who like what in what world like honestly if they had been fighting about whatever wednesday not wanting to be like morticia not wanting to go to nevermore whatever and morticia had just been proud of her for putting the piranhas in the pool i would have a completely different feeling about That's this situation she should have been proud of her for trying to kill those boys with those fish like that no, not that's happening fair. is like this is not this doesn't fit with everything that i like know and love about the adams family yeah no i will i will give you that because i think i think that like there is in just like kind of in the show some sort of confusing writing choices with like morticia which i think is just sort of a larger critique of the way that a lot of things go down in the show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I, it, it, it could be more well, it could have been better done like for sure. Yeah. I just want, I just want her to have the like unconditionally supportive of her like homicidal tendencies, parents that I feel like that I feel like canonically exists previous to this show. So yeah. Cool. What else? Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Feng, who is somehow one of the best characters in the show. Yeah. Which I think is just really well done. Yeah. 
considering it's like a just a hand, but he's like such a like you get such a good sense of his character like through other people, but even just like through his own like actions and mannerisms. It's just very lovely. Yeah, they fucking so the thing is played by a Romanian puppeteer <laughs> in a blue suit, like <laughs> which is like so weird when you like watch the show, imagining the fact that there's just this like really tall, fully grown man just like <laughs> in a skin tight suit behind them in every scene. <laughs> it's so so weird to think about, but like. They did a really good job finding the right person to be able to give us like the full the full spectrum of human emotion. Right? With just one hand. I mean, I think it would make sense to get a puppet too, because you would want someone who has like excellent finger control, essentially. Yeah. For like what happens. Cause yeah, it's like like Fang is a full ass character in this yeah. movie. Yeah. In this movie, in this show. And it's just I don't know. It's just so well done. I'm like, it's yeah. the acting, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Benjamin does a great job. Yeah. And I will bring this up again later. Another point in the practical effects may be more expensive sometimes, but they are always better. It's always going to be better to have to edit this dude out of all of your shots <laughs> than to try and CGI this hand. Because it would have been awful if it had been a CGI hand. It would have it would have looked terrible, and and actually also the like character design of thing is also like really great, like with the kind of like stitching, and it's just sort of like I don't know, it's very it's very well done. I'm just yeah, yeah, it's really good, and apparently it took like almost as long to get into makeup for just that one single hand as like a person for the show. So I believe that. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's interesting how, like, everyone just, like, meets and accepts thing as, like, okay to have, like, on campus. It seems like even the teachers are like, yep, Wednesday has a pet hand with, like, a full human everything. Yeah. You, you know? Like, I don't know. I It seems weird, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's probably a lot of just weird shit that happens at that school, so I think he's kind of like, I don't know have to roll with it it's always funny so. when the 28 year old is like ah there's like a hand like <laughs> yeah. in his room and it's like <laughs> yeah so yeah like enid learns to speak sign language seemingly like immediately so that she can communicate with thing which i fucking love i love so their just... relationship so much so they can exchange moisturizing tips yeah and, and like each make other manicures. <laughs> it's very cute yeah. yeah um can we speak a little bit about eugene yeah um i want to protect him at all costs obviously he's so great he's so great and it's just how tragic is it to be the outcast among outcasts you know i know and i just i just love him and his and his like b club and like how quickly wednesday's like I pretended to care about anyone, but I am quickly going to adopt you as my brother now. So. Yeah, I love that through like almost the entire series, like up until like the last 10 minutes, you're like, does Eugene have 
like powers like why does he go here he's just a big nerd and then it's like oh no he's not just like a bee kid he's like a bee kid like he has like bee powers he can he can control the bees that's so fucking cool even though it, we'll get to this in uh the health and science uh Yes, I think that at the end scene, those are wasps, but we'll talk about that later. But yes, okay, he good. clearly has some That makes of... me happy because Eugene would never kill his bees. He would never. He would never. Well, to save everyone, he might, but... I, I have. I actually have evidence to back this up that it's probably wasps. Excellent. Love it. Anyway, yeah, Eugene, right. Power to control bees. How fucking cool is that? Or like maybe other bugs, this is kind of like a bug nerd. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... Not the flashiest of, I don't know, telekinesis, telepathy, whatever he is doing for that. But it totally like works for him being a like a, an adorable nerd. And I'm like, yeah, he's just one of the only note noteworthy dudes in this show. There's not a lot of them. No, Eugene is Eugene is like one of few. <laughs> few. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah, he's a, he's a great character. I can't wait to see more of him in uh, the next season. Yeah. So I don't have, like, specific notes. I just have, like, I have it here to talk about Enid and Bianca, but I don't have anything specific to say about Enid or Bianca. I just think we should, like, spitball about them. Um, I have Bianca next so we can talk about her. Okay. Just that I love her. And I really appreciate, because I think that halfway through the show you're like okay she's the one note queen bee kind of villain like regina george type villain but then they give her a backstory and then you like and then you're like oh okay so if you're giving you this all this like like enough intricate backstory that we like feel all this sympathy for you i'm just like you deserve better queen yeah (laughs) uh and for folks that haven't watched the show like she's a siren um with siren mind control powers that she is suppressing via a amulet amulet thank you yeah to sort of tone her powers down as much as you can apparently it's a mild prophylactic i thought that was a really funny line for some reason chef's kiss honestly for that and yeah, and then we find out that, like, her mom's in this, like, shitty cult that she's trying to escape from, and is, like, her mom's trying to get her back into the cult to manipulate more people for money, and she's just like, I'm done with this bullshit. And it's just, it's so, it's just so good to have this sort of nuanced, and it's like, this isn't anything that relates to Wednesday or the mystery really at all. It's just, like, Bianca just has some backstory of her own, and it's really nice. Yep. Um, and honestly, she is too good for any of the dudes in the show, um, especially for Xavier, who she's like sort of angry about being into Wednesday. And it's like, you're hot as shit and you're smart and you're a badass. Like, find someone who doesn't care about the siren thing. Like, if someone like Bianca was like, I really like you, but like, I'm a siren, I might be manipulating you. I'd be like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I would do whatever you wanted to, regardless. <laughs> I mean, I think it's super fair that Xavier broke up with her after finding out that she had on purpose manipulated him with her siren song. Like, that's bad. That's not a good thing to do. Yeah. I agree that she's too good for Xavier. But also, I do think that, like, you shouldn't use siren song on people without their explicit consent, if that's a thing that you can consent to. I mean, I feel 
there could definitely be some you could use it in a kind of role play like I feel like I feel like I could definitely see it being you could use it like in a sexy kinky way probably so yeah I agree and I think I just have to end with I think she still has better chemistry with Wednesday than any of the dudes that she talks to yeah one million percent (sighs) which is a great uh segue into Enid (laughs) okay yeah go for it I just love that she's just like it's so like sunshiny bright colors stuff unicorn collection like runs a blog about like student gossip enid who is like basically the direct opposite of everything that wednesday stands <laughs> for yeah. um and it's perfect she's just i just love her as a character yeah um, no she's lovely and you know she she go through some some struggles with not being able to fully transform into a werewolf, which I think seems to bring her shitty mom more distressed than it gives to Enid, poor Enid. Yeah, her mom sucks. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I hope and I hope when you turn eighteen, Enid, you decide to find a new pack and to just completely never talk to your mom again. So. Yeah. Definitely. Or at least go low contact, as I guess the internet is fond of saying with your, if you're trying to cut off your very shitty, very shitty parents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's just, I don't know. And the fact that like, it takes almost getting murdered for Enid to like go off on Wednesday, honestly shocking. For real. Yeah. She's, she's too, she's too tolerant, I think. Yeah. She's a bit. She's a bit of a people pleaser, yeah. but hope, hopefully, maybe becoming a full werewolf at the end. May I add to save Wednesday, or to aid in helping save Wednesday? Uh, maybe that will help with her, give her a little confidence boost. You know. Yeah. I Even agree. though she already still had werewolf strength and like four inch werewolf claws. Yeah. Just. Do you think that she had to like pop her claws to like do her manicure so that the like retracted part was painted when they it's a good question you know because they're like still painted when they become claws so i feel like she must have to like you know when you cut a cat's nails and you have to like squeeze the thing to get the whole claw to come out yeah that must that must be the thing Uh, yeah, yeah i think you're right um yeah i she's like the perfect foil for wednesday and i like that you know she sort of is manages to like pull Wednesday out of her out of her shell a little bit um even though again like I think that like Enid is too tolerant you know you shouldn't have to work that hard to get someone to like treat you like a human I think I think as someone who used to who still struggles with being a people pleaser I feel like Enid definitely has some intense people pleasing ways that I'm glad that we get a point where she's like, okay, I'm setting some boundaries because fuck you, Wednesday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, it comes at, like, I think even past the midway point of the season, but it happens, which is, you know, better better late than never. Yeah, So definitely. Do you have anyone else here? Yes. Uh, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Weems. Okay. <laughs> 
um, because who doesn't love a morally ambiguous tall femme? That is a type that we have on this podcast, to be sure. And for those that not in the not in not in the no, uh, Larissa Weems is the principal of Nevermore, played by all six foot three inches of Gwendolyn Christie, who is just gorgeous, just a complete utter smoke show. I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone fitting their name more exactly. I didn't know the actor's name until right now, and like that is, she looks like that is her name, huh? It's very fitting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as I texted Lark, I think immediately after watching the first episode, I definitely feel like Weems was either had a huge crush on Morticia or they're just like exes. Because I feel like her vibe throughout the show is Weems being like, Morticia, if this is our kid, she would not be have as much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that part where, like, I forget who she's talking to, probably Christina Ricci, um, and she's like, oh, the boy that I invited to the Raven turned me down for another girl, and it was Morticia Adams. Evan and I were like, does she mean the girl that she invited turned her down for another boy? Like, I think they wrote this line backwards, because that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, I feel like this sort of uh, comp hat of this show is a thing I definitely want to get into, but it's like, yeah, yeah, no, clearly she was like big lesbian crush on Morticia. Yeah, and they right. were like roommates, so they were probably like hooking up, and then like Weems wanted it to be like a thing, and then Morticia, you know, didn't and was like, no, I'm gonna date this dude instead. Like, you can feel that history there, and it's like, did you not realize that you were writing that? Like, I don't understand because it's Feels pretty obvious when you watch the show. <laughs> yeah, the fact that she rips out Morticia's page out of the yearbook, it's like, that's not a thing you do if it's like friends that you have that you've lost touch with. It's right. like, hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, ugh. I was sad when they killed her off for obvious reasons. I'm voting so hard for her to not actually be dead. I know, me too. I'm like, you're probably doing other things, but I checked her Wikipedia page and I'm like, you're not really, so you should just come back and do this show. <laughs> they can hand wave your death somehow. Like, yeah. that's fine. You can always, you can always explain how a thing, you know, maybe she like last minute shapeshifted into something that's immune to nightshade poisoning, you know? Right. All right. So, listeners, we we thought we were maybe going to be able to make this happen in one episode, and we absolutely cannot. And so, <laughs> at this point, I'm going to say to be continued and uh, remind you to check the show notes for all this all the stuff, especially ways that you can like find us between episodes and support us and find our other podcasts and whatever. And um, until next time, thanks, furs. Stoners, scales. <laughs>